Hi, it's Laura. Thanks for listening to What on Earth. You might have noticed we've been trying some new things lately. We want you to keep listening, and we also want to get even more Earthlings on board. So whether you're new or a longtime fan, here's what we want to know. What do we do best? What should we rethink? What do you want to see us try next? Please fill out our survey. It's at cbc.ca slash whatonearthpod. We're listening. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Laura Lynch, and you're listening to What on Earth? All the debating, all the promising, all the talking is over. For the candidates, anyway. Canadians who care about climate change can now look to what comes next after the country's 44th election. Glad that it's over because now our elected representatives can hopefully get on with the business of actually implementing better climate change policy. I think that the new people who filtered in, there's some really good, strong climate activists there. And so I'm pretty excited to see what they do. We need to be all on side and all on board and working together. Those are the views of some voters. Political scientists and analysts preoccupied with climate change have their own ideas about what this newly re-elected government should do right away. The sooner that they implement any sort of policy around the just transition, the better. These are lives and livelihoods we're, we're talking about. There's that, but also something else the Liberals vowed to do if they were returned to power. I think it's the most challenging promise. Wondering what that promise is? Stay tuned. Let's start with three people who cast their ballots with climate in mind. You might remember them from a few weeks ago. They were still undecided about who to vote for. But now that we know it's a liberal minority government, we pulled them back together to get their thoughts once more. Claire Kratz is a teacher and a mother of two living in Calgary Confederation. Maimoun Bouyan is studying at McMaster University. He lives in the riding of Hamilton West and Castor Dundas. James Murphy is a business systems analyst and the father of a one-year-old daughter. He's in the La Salle et Marvedon riding of Montreal. Thanks for coming back to talk to us. Hello. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, let's start with this. What's your reaction to the outcome of the election, Maimoun? I think some good things happened. Uh, a lot more Indigenous voices got elected. A lot of different people did get elected. Yes, the counts didn't really change. I think Trudeau picked up one seat. Um, NDP may have picked up one seat. And so, yeah, it does kind of feel like a kind of like a waste. But I think that the new people who filtered in, there's some really good, strong climate activists there. And so I'm pretty excited to see what they do. James, what about you? Well, like my moon, I mean, I'm looking on the bright side. We're, we're certainly not going to move backwards in terms of climate change policy which is good. Glad that it's over because now our elected representatives can hopefully get on with the business of actually implementing better climate change policy rather than jockeying for power. And Claire, what about you? Yeah, I'd like I'd like to echo what my Moon and James both said. So um, I was feeling a great deal of relief, to be honest, because there was, you know, if you're following the polling prior to the election, it looked like it could have gone either way between the Conservatives and the Liberals. So I did feel a sense of relief that it's a Liberal minority government. And I believe that with the Bloc or the NDP and the Greens and the Liberals, yeah, they can they can now focus on moving forward. Uh, I would say I'm also feeling hopeful. Well, listen, the suspense is killing me. <laughs> and when 
one of the reasons we invited you on the first time was that you were all undecided. In the end, how did you vote? And tell me what went into that decision. And Claire, let, let's come back to you right away. How did you okay. vote? How did you vote and why? I voted Liberal for a multitude of reasons. In Again, in the lead up to the election, a lot of positive things were coming out about the Liberal climate plan from people like Mark Jacquard. The SFU climate uh, professor... Uh, yes, okay. and and he's he's not a climate scientist. He's a, I believe a climate economist. Also, um, the Liberal Climate Plan was also endorsed by the former Green Party leader in BC, Andrew Weaver, and the climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe weighed in with her take. Um, so all of those things I, okay. I factored in, and I voted Liberal. James, how did you end up voting? I ended up voting Liberal. And I live in a solidly liberal riding. So this was not a question of strategic voting or anything like that. It came down to a lot of the stuff that Claire was touching on, um, you know, some pretty serious experts weighing in and endorsing the liberal platform did it for me in the end. Well, I did look closely at what the conservatives were offering. Um, but at the end of the day, I had so many questions about their climate policy. They had this weird kind of goofy point system where you get your carbon tax back and then you go to a government shop to buy stuff. And I mean, there was that. And then there was the question of whether or not they would even have an industrial carbon tax. They said they'd look at what Europe and the US were doing. And I just thought, you know, if you're going to vote conservative, vote for a platform that's promising less bureaucracy and less government, which they were not offering. Vote for a platform that involves Canada standing up and speaking out for, for what's right in the world, which they were not going to do on pollution pricing. My moon, two liberal votes here. How did you vote? I'm going to have to say I did vote NDP. So Roberto Henriquez, um, I like a lot about him. He's a lawyer. He um, works on these issues at a sort of ground level and when I looked into what he was saying and how he planned to sort of, um, he didn't have some really solid plans, but how he like had the kind of qualifications and sort of uh, drive to fight, uh, fight for those things, but, I did vote for him. But my moon, you heard about uh, Jagmeet Singh not being clear about what he would do with the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, did that factor into you at all? So, yeah, the Liberals and the NDP both were not great on the sort of um, pipeline thing. But at the same time, I feel like it was they were not coming at it from a sort of like they're like saying pipelines are good for the environment. I think they're coming from our fiscal like sort of fiscal sense, like the pipeline would help the Canadian economy. I disagree with them, but I don't think that's a bad faith at that point. I think they were doing it in good faith. I just disagree with what they're saying. All right. This is actually the fifth minority government that Canadians have voted for in seven elections. And that often gets interpreted as Canadians wanting their politicians to work together across party lines. When you look at where the parties do stand on climate change, Claire, how hopeful are you that that will actually happen now? I'm hopeful. I, I think that the, you know, I think that the, the, ND, the Liberals can work with the NDP, the Liberals can work with the Bloc. Both of those parties uh, can push for stronger policies we do need a culture change. Like we've seen with COVID, we need to work together. Um, and that is the same with climate change. We need to be all on side and all on board and working together. And we need to move from competition and 
you know, fighting to collaboration, coming together, parties cooperating. Uh, that's the only way I think that we're going to get this done. But you're, so. you, let, let's use where you are as an example. Al, <laughs> yes. Al, Alberta, it is, yes. it is a sea of blue seats. The Conservatives dominate. How likely do you see this government working on initiatives like ending all oil and gas subsidies and working with the NDP and the Greens on that when, in fact, they still may be trying to win over Alberta and Albertan support? Well, it's a tough one, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one. And I think this is where, I mean, I, I said this in the last podcast, our leaders need to start telling the truth. The world is moving on. And I mean, we're seeing there's a climate week in New York City this week, I believe it is. And financial leaders are coming together and they're moving on. Capital is moving. And I I think we need leaders who are willing to say this isn't coming back and this shift is happening and it's happening really well. <laughs> it, it should have happened a long time ago, but it's now now because we have delayed for so long, it's accelerating at, at a great pace. Uh, James, let's consider you our Quebec correspondent on this panel. Um, when, we, when we look at the results and, and we see that the Bloc Québécois still holds a substantial number of seats in Quebec, um, how do you view that party's participation uh, in and around climate change issues going forward? Well, it's it's tricky. It's it, it's a bit mixed. Um, the Bloc Québécois usually wants to support whatever policies are coming out of Quebec City. Um, federally, you know, the the main policy the Liberal government has introduced is this price on pollution that's set to go up to one hundred and seventy dollars per ton in the next nine years. That's the most efficient way to tackle the climate crisis. Quebecers want the climate crisis tackled, but I haven't heard anything from our government in Quebec City about their plans to increase our provincial pollution pricing program to that level. It is tricky in both of those provinces. My <laughs> my moon, I remember you criticizing the Liberals, when the Liberals vowed that the Trans Mountain Pipeline can pay for future jobs that we need to transition to, how will this government need to address that concern going forward? One thing we need to really start doing is having an honest conversation about the type of jobs we can bring into Canada and how fast we can bring in jobs. And it's an important issue. Labor is what, well, feeds our families. It's, it's something that is a day-to-day -day issue, whereas climate change is this sort of abstract long-term issue that we need to plan for, but no one knows how to plan for. We can do this together. When we have infrastructure plans, we have job plans that are related to climate change and trying to sort of fix our um, sort of emission spectrum, rather than trying to do an easy solution, which is the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which wouldn't have lasted, even if it got through more than 20 years at best, so that's a temporary job. And we need to just start being honest about these conversations. Okay. You all previously expressed a concern about the lack of urgency the Liberal government was paying, was addressing climate change with. And this decade is, is seen to be critical for climate action. We have the meetings coming up in Glasgow soon. What new policies do you want to see from this government? My Moon will come back to you. Right. So I want some sort of uh, jobs program infrastructure um, plan related to climate change. I want Indigenous reconciliation. I want them to be heavily involved in this conversation. I want to see a infrastructure change that is both backed by science and backed by climate advocates. We can have a conversation on whether or not renewables is the path. <clears throat> 
or if it's nuclear, but we need to at least have that conversation right now and we need it urgently. James? I think we need to follow the lead of the European Union in slapping tariffs on environmentally destructive imports. Imports from countries that don't have solid environmental policies in place. So if there's other countries that are going to make cheap goods by burning coal, um, we need to raise the price of those goods when they come into Canada. Europe is already doing that. We need to follow. Um, and once we have that, we can start putting carbon taxes and regulations on our heavy emitters because they won't be at a disadvantage against a country like Russia. Claire, last word to you. Well, I'm, I'm going to go with a just transition. So we have communities in Alberta that are very much reliant on the extractive industries that have given us a very good life up until now. And we need to include those communities, those workers, those families in conversations and, and enact a just transition so that they aren't feeling angry. Uh, because I do think that that anger is, is starting, we're starting to see that here in our, in our country. And we need to listen and offer solutions and, and listen to their ideas for how this goes forward. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you um, being with us, not once, but twice. Who knows, maybe you'll get a regular gig on this show. <laughs> Thank you so much to all three of you. Thanks, Laura. Thanks so much. Claire Kratz is in the riding of Calgary Confederation in Alberta. Maimoun Bouyan voted in Hamilton West and Castor Dundas. And James Murphy cast his ballot in the Montreal riding of La Salle et Malverdun. Canadians care about what's happening in the world. And in just 10 minutes, World Report can help you stay on top of it all. Join me, Marcia Young. And me, John Northcott, to get caught up on what was breaking when you went to bed and the stories that still matter in the morning. Our CBC News reporters will tell you about the people trying to make change. The political movements catching fire. And the cultural moments going viral. Find World Report wherever you get your podcasts. Start your day with us. Now, James, Maimoun, and Claire aren't the only ones watching to see just what policies this next government gets to work on. Catherine Harrison and Jennifer Winter are as well. Catherine is a professor of political science at the University of British Columbia who specializes in energy and climate policy. Jennifer Winter is an associate professor of economics at the University of Calgary. Hello to you both. Hello. Catherine, let's start with you. Climate change actually didn't dominate the election campaign in the way some might have expected, especially after the past summer and, and the fires and the heat dome and the drought. Why do you think that was? Um, I think it's partly because um, Mr. O'Toole and the Conservatives did a good job of putting forward a new climate plan that was stronger than their 2019 plan and just good enough that climate wasn't as effective as a wedge issue. And so the, the Liberals... We're looking for other policies that would provide them greater leverage over the Conservatives. Jennifer, what do you think? I think I'll echo what Kathy said in that, you know, the Conservatives did put forward a climate plan that was fairly reasonable. And then I think the other part of it is really just um, like the issues around COVID have sucked up a lot of people's attention and time and concern. And so 
that's what's front of mind to a lot of people, uh, particularly in Alberta right now. Jennifer, now you actually wrote a series of opinion pieces for the CBC comparing all the climate platforms. What policies do you think that the Liberals can now find common ground with the other parties to act on? So the different climate plans were actually like fairly interesting in that they were remarkably similar. It was just like the differences were really in the nuances in that all parties are on board with uh, carbon pricing. In that, it's just a matter of degree and the the aggressiveness. And I think the the like the NDP and Greens in particular are going to be pushing for more aggressiveness on climate policy. Um, I think the other thing to watch for is the um, large emitter system that the federal government has as its backstop in that more and more provinces are implementing their own systems. And so what the federal program is, it doesn't matter as much anymore, except for where it's the minimum standard. And I could see the NDP and the Greens pushing for more aggression, um, you know, in their language, eliminating loopholes. Whereas I would say like the Conservatives and perhaps the Bloc would be pushing the Liberals for more provincial independence. And I'm just interested in your in your views on the, on the Conservatives, because we know that, as you know, Catherine was saying, that the Conservatives brought climate into the platform. Um, Aaron O'Toole is getting criticism and flack from within his own ranks about the party moving too far to the centre. Um, what does that auger for the Conservatives in the new parliament? Will it move back over and away from those kinds of commitments? I, I think if the Conservatives want to be taken seriously by um, like small government, right-leaning voters that care about climate, I think they need a credible climate plan. And I would say that like, the Conservatives got like half of the way there with what they proposed, but they had some, I mean, the personal low carbon savings account was just a bizarre policy choice. And I think it was just to dance around and avoid using the words um, carbon tax. And so, you know, I honestly think that the Conservatives have to actually become more mainstream and, and really come back to their roots in terms of supporting market-based policies for um, adapting to and, and mitigating climate change. And Catherine, I feel I should ask you that question too, since you, you talked about the Conservatives' relative success in taking climate change out of the conversation for the campaign. What do you expect them to be saying about it in the new parliament? The, the job of the opposition is to oppose. So then the question is, will they oppose seeking protection for large industry, especially the oil and gas industry, or will they try to leapfrog over the liberals? I would not expect the latter. The, the signs in the conservative plan, they moved a long way, but they didn't move as far as the liberals. And beyond their actual climate platform, there were a lot of measures that called for support for the oil and gas industry on the campaign trail. Mr. O'Toole wanted to rejuvenate the Northern Gateway pipeline. So I think we will hear them opposing in subtle ways, and they will have an advantage that much of the Liberals' agenda going forward is regulatory. Much of what they need to do is not through new legislation that will have to come through the House of Commons, but pretty technical 
details that will be um, less visible to the public at large, where industry will be fighting hard over every comma, every percentage point. And I think the conservatives will probably be subtly or not so subtly supporting industry there. That's interesting that you say that because um, I interviewed the now re-elected Jonathan Wilkinson, who was the Minister of Environment and Climate Change in, in the last Liberal government, and there's no suggestion he won't stay on in that portfolio. I interviewed him about the Liberal platform, and he wouldn't be specific about how the government would achieve putting a series of caps on oil and gas emissions. Um, and I asked him about regulation, and he just wouldn't say. I, I'm wondering, um, Catherine, let's just stay with you for this, if you think that will be a challenging promise to deliver on. I think it's the most challenging promise. It felt to me like they came up with that one on the campaign trail. The NDP had announced something similar, although for all sectors, it didn't sound like it had already been discussed with the net zero advisory body in any detail. So what we know is that the government is going to get advice from their net zero advisory body on what that cap should be. That will only be advice. But then there's big questions of how to translate that into standards, especially for individual facilities. That's going to be a really hard fought one. And I mean, it seems they have the authority to do it under existing legislation. Even the Harper government proposed to regulate emissions from the oil and gas industry. But if Mr. Wilkinson has, didn't have an answer on that, I think it's because they haven't figured it out yet. Okay, Jennifer, what do you think of that? I mean, you're in Alberta. How hard do you expect the oil and gas industry to fight that kind of thing? So I, I think the issue is not so much the um, oil and gas industry fighting back, but it's the Alberta government fighting back. Right now, the reality is that emissions from oil sands are regulated by the provincial government using the Technology Innovation and Emissions Reduction Regulation, or TIER. And that sets a maximum emissions intensity standard for different types of facilities, oil sands, petrochemical facilities, et cetera. And if emissions are higher than that standard, then firms pay. So oil sands emissions are regulated by the provincial government. And I expect that that would be a very difficult conversation. Of course, you know, it also depends on what happens in Alberta over the next couple of years. Uh, you know, it could be that uh, a liberal minority government decides to punt on this issue until after Alberta's election. I'm wondering then about the idea of the just transition. We know that they, the Liberals promised it in the last election and they redoubled their promises on that. How crucial is the timeline uh, on just transition? Um, Jennifer, do you want to start with you? Sure. I think the sooner that they implement any sort of policy around the just transition, the better. Um, I mean, these are lives and livelihoods we're, we're talking about. And so putting time and effort into that is going to be incredibly important so that we don't have people left behind. And Catherine, how crucial do you think the timeline is on that? I think it's really crucial, both for the reasons that Jennifer just stated, but also because the Liberals promised this two years ago. It was in the minister's mandate letter, and then they went silent until just a few weeks before the election when they announced a consultation. Now, that's a consultation they could have announced two years earlier. So they need to deliver. 
this time um, in a way that they didn't last time. I think the one thing that will help them is the announcement during the election of a $2 billion futures fund to support transition of communities in oil-dependent provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Newfoundland and Labrador. So bringing forward that legislation, and that one will require legislation because they said that it would be a law. Um, They've already signaled that there's going to be a pretty good chunk of money that accompanies that. Well, they they, they promised $2 billion. Um, Jennifer, we know the Alberta Federation of Labour called for 10 times that amount per year. Um, What kind of money do you think Ottawa might have to pay out in order to make this phase out actually happen? So I think it's important not to think about it as the government paying out money. I think it's so in Alberta, we're still struggling with helping coal communities adapt with the phase out of coal based electricity generation. So I think it's actually thinking deeply about what communities need and and what people need. I mean, the, the lesson from the coal transition in Alberta is that they focused on people employed at the mines without actually thinking about the entire community and the families of the people employed in in the mines. So it's I feel we're putting a little bit of the cart before the horse and in, in promising two billion and um, anyone asking for more. Really, it's um, let's think about the problem first and then we can talk about policy options and what dollars need to be associated with those. What, kind, what, what kind of timeline are you talking about then? I would say, let's have these consultations. And then in the next budget, let's lay out a multi-year plan for retraining and and helping communities. All right. I, I want to change gears here and get your thoughts on Canada's role internationally. And our emissions record, it came up during the debates. We've heard it several times on this show. Canada has seen the biggest increase in emissions in the G7. Catherine, what does that do to our credibility on the world stage? I think um, Canadians love this idea of Canada punching above its weight and being environmental leaders. But on climate, we have been environmental laggards. Um, We haven't delivered the emissions reductions. And the leaders have really been countries in the European Union that have been pushing forward more ambitious policies. Now, it's been easier for them, um, given economic transitions that happened in the 1990s. I think what the rest of the world is looking for is for Canada to be constructive, to deliver on its commitments. But I think we will see leadership shift back to a combination of the U.S. and the European Union representing industrialized countries and all eyes then turn to China. All right. Now, we're less than two months away from the U.N. Climate Change Conference in Glasgow. I'm wondering, Jennifer, what does this government need to do to be seen then as a true partner in the global fight against climate change? So I, I sort of agree with Catherine on <laughs> whether you know we've been laggards. I, I think um, if you look at, say, the past two decades, Canada's challenge has been setting aspirational targets and then doing nothing about them. Liberal governments, provincial governments have actually done a lot over the past five years. And I think it is important to acknowledge that. Uh, what I worry about with COP26 is that the Liberal government goes there and promises even more ambitious action 
relative to what was proposed in budget 2021 and then in um, May after the meeting with the Biden administration. And what I worry about is as part of sort of the political theater around COP26 is that we have Canada set another more aggressive aspirational target that it would be exceptionally difficult to meet. And that I think can be incredibly damaging for Canada's reputation going forward. And, you know, it's 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 something that's played out over and over again in these negotiations. Catherine? Um, I'm a little less worried about that because we've already submitted a quite detailed NDC at the end of July. Um, that that is Canada's statement nationally of- determined contribution. We, you know, we submitted a new target, and I imagine it's one that the Trudeau government already confirmed passes muster with the Biden administration. So that's a key target for Canada because if we're not close enough to the U.S there's always a risk that they will punish us. And let's just clarify, uh, that is the 40 to 45% target yeah. for and 2030. The US, the U.S. is at 50. Um, they have a head start on us because they've seen a dramatic shift in electricity generation from coal to natural gas because of the emergence of fracking within the U.S. So they're way ahead of us in meeting their target. They've set a more ambitious target, but we're enough in the ballpark that... I mean, maybe crazy things will happen in Glasgow, but I suspect that the Trudeau government knows that they've got their work cut out for them. And they passed a new act, the Net Zero Climate Accountability Act, just in July that puts in place a number of accountability mechanisms that weren't there before. And so they're going to have to live up to their obligations. They're going to have to submit a plan, their first plan to meet the next NDC um, in the spring of 2022. So if they sort of pull a more ambitious target out of their hat in Glasgow, they have to own it just four or five months later. All right. Well, we will be watching what happens in Glasgow. It's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you to both of you. You're welcome. Thank you. Catherine Harrison is a professor of political science at the University of British Columbia who specializes in energy and climate policy. Jennifer Winter is an associate professor of economics at the University of Calgary. Now, we want to hear from you, too. What do you think should be the Trudeau government's top priority on climate? Email us, earth at cbc.ca, or you can tweet us at CBC What on Earth or me at Laura Lynch CBC. That's it for us. If you liked what you heard, please share the episode with a friend. Our team this week, intern Danielle Piper, associate producers Matt Muse and Rachel Sanders, producer Molly Siegel, Matthias Wolfson is our engineer, our senior producer is Manisha Janakaram. I'm Laura Lynch. Thank you for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.